You are listening to ViewSource, conversations around WordPress and adjacent tech with hosts Ruba Ahmed and me, Brian Kortz. Ruba, welcome to part two of our series in Next.js, where let's be honest, you're just cramming information into my brain, teaching me about Next.js, um, because for a little context, I have, I would say like surface level cocktail party communication knowledge of Next.js. I can talk about it. I've dappled in it, but you're in the deep dive world. And so we're ready to dive even deeper with part two of our Next.js series. Does that sound, do I have the, the framing right? Or would you disagree with that? I think in my head, this is part 1.5 and not part two. Okay. <laughs> and we'll get into a little bit of why. And also, I love how you say that it's like you have cocktail level knowledge, says the man who has co-created an entire application in Next.js already. <laughs> That's true. And I, you know what? I stole that phrase from when I was in like grad school and I had to like pass all these tests. And of course, this was not about computers. It was like English literature, which is what I was studying. <laughs> but it was like, you had to have, they called it cocktail party knowledge of every like genre of literature and every era mm -hmm. of like, you know, whatever enough to where you could have a conversation about it and feel knowledgeable, but like, you're not an expert on it. And that's, that's <laughs> how I feel about it. Like I would not say that I'm an expert in it. I still feel very shaky. Fair enough. For the record, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert either, but I also wouldn't say that I feel shaky in it. So I guess it yeah. kind of makes sense that I'm leading this. <laughs> There's an unrelated article somebody just posted, somebody that's deep in React and was like, I've been yes. teaching React forever and I've now it's confusing me. You know which one I'm talking yes. about? We'll put that in the yes. show notes because I didn't get to like understand the full context of what the post was talking about, but it was very mm -hmm. intriguing. Yes, it was really great. I saw it come through in the weekend. We'll definitely pop that in the show notes as an interesting thing that we can like a look at. So what do you have on tap for us today? What, okay. why is this 1.5? Why are we not just writing code? Yes. So it's 1.5 because unlike a lot of other things that we've explored, the last series that we did was Laravel, a lot of things in the world of JavaScript are decoupled. Everything, a lot of it is decoupled. It makes sense that the world of headless, for example, is also in JavaScript and is also decoupled. And when you choose to create something in JavaScript, you have a lot of other design decisions that you have to make, especially when it's an application and not just a static site, which in other frameworks, you often don't need to because there's already sort of a built-in decision you can go with. You could change it, but there is a built-in decision already made. With uh, JavaScript and Next.js, that's not the case. So we need to make a couple, a few, maybe, a few decisions first and foremost that's going to affect and cascade into all the other tiny little decisions that will happen throughout our application. And of them, I would say the two biggest decisions are how are you going to style things and how are you going to store things? There are two other decisions we can make, but one of them is really a simple decision that most of us already have some sort of opinion on, how do you, on which is how do you communicate? And the other one is how do you authenticate, which is often rolled into how do you store things? And we'll get into why. Do you have a preference on which order we go in? How do you, let me get my head around this. How do you style things? Because I think we did, we said no to Tailwind on our import. Right? Yes. And that's just, yes. that's just a framework. Like that's not even, you know, like there's so much deep, deeper into that. 
where are we going to store, you know, database, where are we going to put our users? How are we going to handle user authentication? And then mm -hmm. how will we communicate? You mean like, how are we going to send password reset emails, alerts, yes. notifications, all that sort of stuff? Yes. Oh, you know what? It's a slow morning. Let's start with CSS and work our way from there. That's your slow morning? <laughs> I think I think it's a little slower than how do you authenticate users. Yeah. I Fair think, enough. Uh, I think... I think I'll take display flex over uh, yeah. user authentication right now. <laughs> That's funny. So yes. So in terms of styling, in the world of JavaScript, there's something called CSS and JS, which everyone has a lot of strong opinions about. And also, it's if you're new to it, it's a little hard to wrap your head around because why would you want to do CSS in JS? You know, CSS is its own language. It's fully fleshed out. It has its own stuff. Why would you want, what advantage is there to CSS in JS? So if you were hearing about this, what would be the first thing you kind of start thinking about? Well, I'd have to put aside my WordPress focus that I've been in on my date, which is like CSS in JSON, which is like driving me crazy, <laughs> yes. is unrelated, but like my mind went there immediately. Um, I don't know what it is about us wanting to put CSS, not just, can we just all write CSS? Like is something wrong with CSS? <laughs> Why, you know, the class utility libraries, the CSS and JS. Yeah. I, what is it with JavaScript where everything is like an argument? You know what I mean? Like TypeScript's an argument. This is an argument, <laughs> everything. It's like, all of that, but, but no, to go back to what you were saying, like in the previous episode, I used to really struggle with a lot of let's stuff everything inside of JavaScript, um, JSX, that kind of like HTML stuffed in JavaScript and stuff. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I kind of like it. And I actually, I, my favorite is view and it's like little view files where you have like a style area and a script area mm -hmm. and a, you know, an HTML and it's all these nice little component files and stuff like that. Um, what are you doing? What are you, what are you thinking? Are you going to put your CSS in JS or are you going to just have like a nice little side build process or, or CSS modules or what are you, what are you feeling? So I think in the world of JavaScript, like you just brought up with Vue as well and in React as well, there's this idea of co-location, which is pretty popular where you put everything related to a particular component together. And that's how you get, you know, your CSS and JavaScript and any other HTML all in one file. So you can read one file and say, oh, okay, this is, this is what it's styled with. This is what it's doing. And this is what it's gonna, you know, semantically look like. And I think, like you said, I think it's really nice to be able to consider something instead of having to jump in between different files to do that. And I think that was one of the first things that started the evolution of CSS and JS. And the other thing is you get a lot of interesting power with CSS in JS because now you can take properties in JavaScript and you can use them in your CSS to compute it or to do stuff to it. In WordPress, when we want to do something like that, we often inject a style attribute with like a variable or a property or something mm -hmm. in our PHP, right? And what if you didn't have to do that because your styles already had access to your PHP properties? Okay. If you've right? ever written like a little like PHP, like CSS Walker in WordPress, where you take like your ACF things and you make it generate a bunch of CSS on the page and exactly. stuff. That sounds really appealing. Yes, exactly. So that's the other advantage of CSS and JS. What would you need that for in this context? Like when in this application that we're imagining, 
mm-hmm. are we ever going to really need to like, you know, because like when we do it in WordPress, it's because we have a place where users are adding and modifying content and modifying yes. design and yeah. they're picking a color and we need that color on the front end. But like, right. why would I need that? Yes. Well, one, you might have an application where people can make edits as users, okay. but let's say in this application, users can't make any kind of content edits at all, right? Then why would you need it? In React specifically, state for inputs is managed most often, which means it's managed by React and it's it's typical HTML APIs and web APIs are not exposed. So if you wanted to affect change of some kind in your style based on a state change, it's easier to connect it to the JavaScript state rather than to say, oh, this is checked, you know? Okay, that's, okay sometimes feels a little bit more natural in the world of React. I'm not necessarily saying that's always the right thing to do, but it is a common sort of situation that you can encounter. The other thing is, you know, let's say you have different things showing up on different screen sizes. Uh, You can connect that. You can connect that logic in your CSS as well, rather than rely on yet another logic around screen sizes, particularly in another place. So your screen size management might be happening happening in your component on the logic and business logic side of it. And you can use that to affect the CSS rather than also replicate that logic in your CSS. Okay. So then what's the problem with it? The problem is the first few CSS in JS libraries that came out had a runtime which means they're dynamically inserting and calculating and figuring all of this out on the client side, which mm. makes things slower, which makes yeah. it, and it just, it balloons the size of your final compiled application and how fast it can be. And that is not great. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't like that idea. Yes. You know? But that was how it was first done. And not only is it that it's not a great idea, it makes it really difficult to follow the ethos of CSS, the cascade. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times the cascade is something people don't like, right? People want very isolated components that are not affected by anything else. Yeah. And that's cool. But there are still other things of CSS, other parts of cascade you want to take advantage of. And it's difficult to do that with CSS and JS that's happening at runtime. So how do we get the advantages of having our business logic in one place that can affect both the function and the style. How do we co-locate everything to make it easier to understand? How do we also take advantage of CSS magic and power and properties that we want to take advantage of? And how do we still maintain good performance? That seems more complicated than you first realized, right? Yeah, it makes me really uh, miss the... (laughs) the decisions, not options, like mindset of WordPress where, you know, like, I think exactly. we just talked about this a lot. There's just so many decisions that you have to make. Yes. Um, and it's very scary because what if you make the wrong decision? You really don't want mm-hmm. to like refactor everything after the, after the fact. So, all right. So what, is, so what are we, what are we doing? What's our strategy? So there's two options that I want to share. And one is an option that does have a runtime kind of, and one that doesn't have a runtime. The first option is you can use just SAS modules 
SCSS modules, they're not yeah. going to be co-located, right? So there, it's just using SAS. It's using, you can include the compiling of SAS and it happens during the build time and put that in Webpack and just go, go like that. But now you don't so have just, advantages of JavaScript. You're just loading a full style sheet, like one style full, sheet. No, you can have style sheets that are connected just to that component, and then okay. you insert that into the component. So it only gets loaded just the way blocks and WordPress do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you can do that with SAS modules. You could also go the way of, yes, you have little partials, and then they get loaded into one ginormous uh, style just sheet. an old school but, CSS style sheet. If yeah. you really wanted to, you could. Exactly. You totally could do it. The advantage, of course, of modules is the performance benefits is only only loading the CSS that you need, right? So you could do that. If you wanted something that is like that, but doesn't have a runtime at all, but still gives you the advantages of CSS, there are a bunch of run, no runtime or almost zero runtime libraries that exist in the JavaScript world. The two, the three most popular ones are Stitches, Vanilla Extract, and Compiled. Uh, all very fascinating and weird names uh, that you can use. And I'm going to share my screen and we're going to look at uh, vanilla extract because that's one that I've been working with quite a bit recently. Okay, so this is zero runtime style sheets in TypeScript. And it gives you the advantage of being able to use JavaScript information, variables, and state in your CSS, but it's close to the kind of CSS you might be used to using. For example, everything is camel case. So it's like background color with a capital C instead of background hyphen color. So mm -hmm. it feels JavaScripty, but you write all of your styles in a separate file. So it's still not co-located, but it's a separate file. And then you can insert it into, let's see, where is it going to show? Uh, okay, so you can have your styles and then you insert them into the JSX by just adding the class inside the class name area and it will just create the correct class that will be dynamic, won't conflict with any other classes when it's built. I feel like every time we get into a project like this, I mm -hmm. always, half of me really likes having these really co-located CSS files. And then the other half of me is like, well, what happens when I want like some utilities? What happens when I want some really yes. repeatable things? I mean, I got to put a new checkbox or do I need to import those, you know, or do I have to make that a component? Do I have to make every little thing a component? Like there's, mm -hmm. it, I feel like there's like these pros and cons to where sometimes you're like, I just want to pull things in from a, an overall library and not write, you know, every little yes. scoped thing. Does that make sense? Totally. And a lot of people who, who use uh, components and libraries like this, they will often pull in parts of a different library, or you can actually use Tailwind along with Vanilla Extract if you wanted, or people in larger teams, for example, who might use something like this will come up with their own utilities, utility libraries that they refer to. The really nice thing about Vanilla Extract is that it has a theme contract as a feature in it. So think like theme.json in WordPress yeah, yeah. and you can actually build out an entire contract of here, what the spacings should be and here, what the colors are here, okay. are the, you know, typography and all of this. And then you can pull that in super easily into any vanilla extract file. So I really enjoyed this as a concept. It has cons. Don't get me wrong. It has cons and it doesn't always follow the CSS cascade the way I want, but a lot of the features that it has, bring it bring a really good balance between 
JavaScript and its advantages and CSS and JS, and also the advantages that CSS in general has that you don't want to lose. So I really appreciate that okay. about this particular library. The other one that we have is Stylex, which is very brand new and it's from Meta. So the, the creators of React essentially. And this one is also, it tries to not have too much of a runtime, but it is a different paradigm and more close, closer to how traditional CSS and JS works. So if pe for the people who come from wanting to be very, very much closer to JS rather than to CSS, they would like this better. But it is brand new, so I haven't had a chance to try it out. So those are the decisions when it comes to styling. Okay. I My brain is just thinking about our dependency like tree as it grows. Oh. When, you, yes. when we first started and you were like, here's our package.json, there's nothing in it. And now it's like, here's three CSS libraries I've never heard of. Let's start throwing those in. I hope they're mm -hmm. still around. Like my default would be to trust the Facebook. I can't believe I'm saying this, but to trust Facebook <laughs> because they actually have been really good about open source and mm -hmm. maintaining for the most part, you know, like they're, they're pretty decent in that area versus yeah. some package that's just like everybody really likes it this month and who knows where it's going to be in six months. Um, Fair. It's very interesting. So, um, okay. So where did you go? Uh, I, we're going to choose vanilla extract because I okay. think it chooses the best in both worlds. We get to use CSS and JS, and we also get to use some of the power of CSS itself and some of its cascade powers. It's not the best ever solution, but I think that this JavaScript power and being able to use that in the application is worth the cost of not having the access to the entire cascade. Okay. Yeah. I so we'll be... look at how that plays out specifically for sure. In a yeah. Later and I will have in my mind, like, also just like, what if we went to Tailwind and see, <laughs> you know, which also gives you like a JSON file to configure it and, uh, you know, 100%. Some stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see. Because I think the other part about a lot of this stuff is they're all so similar, but the part that's hard is like knowing the language like basically just getting familiar with it like that's where i yes. was always struggling with laravel I was like i know i can do this thing i just got to go dig through documentation because we called it this here now we call it this here and i think mm -hmm. you know that's sort of the benefit of things becoming very widespread um is that yeah you're just onboarded into it already and it, there's just low low overhead to find the name of the thing that you want to use so it'll be interesting to see um you know how that affects everything if you're you know having a little more freedom to start naming things and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I think half of the reason some of these frameworks exist is because we all hate naming things and you just let somebody <laughs> else name everything for you. Yes, I agree with that. Obviously, I have feelings about it that we can get into <laughs> a little bit more. And we've talked about it before on the podcast as well, but I generally don't like to lean on frameworks for styling. Mm -hmm. The next thing we need to talk about, though, is the other big thing but it's you know i think css is really the biggest thing that's the most contentious issue always all other mm -hmm. issues are not particularly very content contentious we need to talk about how we want to store things and that means we're talking about databases now what's the first yeah. database that comes to your mind it's everybody's favorite that no one ever complains about everyone loves it it's uh just puts smiles on everyone's heart and that's firebase of course i mean everyone of course. loves firebase right of course everyone just dreams of <laughs> playing with firebase Yes. Firebase is the one that a lot of people can think of, especially when you think about the world of JavaScript. 
West Boss uses it in his React course, you know, so everyone's kind of familiar with it. But it's a proprietary solution from Google yeah. that is not open source. And it's poorly, very poorly documented. <laughs> and let's be honest, as nice as Facebook is about open source, and I think that's just the benefit of open source is like things just are just more taken care of because a community gets involved and invested in stuff. And obviously like that's helped a lot for React um, is that yes. kind of community open source nature. And then there's Google who like, let's be honest, like will they shut down Firebase in like two years? You have no idea. They definitely <laughs> could and it would not surprise anybody. It's honestly a surprise that it's still around um, because Google is the opposite and you just can't trust them with anything. Like I just, I wouldn't. I agree. Except for Google Maps, because they make a lot of money on it. But other than that, I don't trust them on any other APIs. Yeah, I think I'm there with you. We use it in a project, and it Firebase has some really random limitations or just random things that are hard to figure out. When it works, it's amazing. But when it doesn't work, it's you don't know how to debug it. It's really hard to just handle and it's very frustrating. So okay. I will probably just never vote for Firebase like ever again. And I have now learned in my own frustrations that a lot of people share those feelings. And that's why this other project came about called Superbase. And Superbase is open source and it's prettier. Look at how pretty this page is. I know it's dark mode, but it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no gradient though, right? I, I'm not yes. seeing a gradient. Uh, yes. Is... So it's open source. Is it the kind of traditional, like we have a hosted version and you can self-host? Yes, you can self-host and it's actually very easy to self-host and you can just use their hosted version as well. It has a fantastic API. It has a lot of the features that you might be looking for. And Firebase does not have, it's not, it's a document structure. So it's not actually a proper database. It's not Postgres or SQL or anything like that. It's a node-based structure where you just have keys and values and then more keys and values inside it. Okay. Superbase is Postgres. Okay. And I honestly think that no matter how simple or non-simple your structure is, just go with like a table-based thing like Postgres or MySQL, because in case you ever have a more complicated structure, you're already far more, far better off already, you know? Yeah, I, I found that the the firebase like key value key value, key value like sounded really amazing in theory and then it always yes. felt like and maybe it's just because of the wordpress background where i was just like give me some give me a spreadsheet give me columns and yeah. rows like that's all i yes. want um yeah so i, I, I agree with that. having worked with both i would fully say like unless there's some real strong reason you need firebase uh superbase is just gonna feel like comforting to you because you're just yes. gonna like be like okay a database thank you exactly and it's it's just really nice you know it looks like a regular database you know you have your tables and your columns and you can and has a fantastic javascript api as well it has real time so you can communicate and create like even chat-based applications with it it has built-in authentication because in a lot of cases you want to pair your authentication with your storage solution I just love how easy it is to get set up and how easy it is to migrate and change things. I felt like adding Superbase gives you the same kind of like nice database ease that Laravel had with its uh, eloquent model a little bit. 
So can you do, because I guess one of the things that people really like about Firebase is like you can subscribe to a piece of data, like you said, that real time. Can you yes. get that same effect? Because that is a little different than Absolutely. like what, you know, Laravel or WordPress is going to do where it's just that kind of like, you know, PHP, like hit the database, render some stuff. So you can yeah. do that sort of like subscription kind of model. Yes, you can have, you can listen to data changes over WebSockets and that's where you, if you need that kind of information and features, it's easier to use their hosted version because it's all taken care of for you and you okay. don't have to figure out WebSockets yourself or integrate with a different API in order to create WebSockets, which is a pretty common situation as well. It has real time. It works beautifully. It's easy to code. When I first used Superbase, it took me less than an hour to get up and running and to refactor all of my Firebase code into Superbase. It was magical. <laughs> okay. And so yes. one of the things you mentioned, which could be a separate topic, could be the same topic, is like we need to store our users and we need to handle user authentication. Like people need to log in, log out. Um, it seems like it makes sense to me to use Superbase for both of those. It seems like yes. they have like extra features specifically for that user management piece, um, would, would there be a reason you would separate that or, or some sort of like feature that's different that you would want or, or just keep I it think there? if I'm using Superbase, I just want to use their authentication because it has the ability to authenticate with other like social media platforms as well, as well as set oh, passwords man. or just have that, you know, email me a one-time password sort of situation. And it takes advantage of Postgres's inbuilt role level security system, which means that if you have a user and you want to give them access to very particular pieces of information, you can build that security right into the, that security already exists in the database and you just have to set the policies for it. So it's very secure. It's time tested, it's battle tested, and you don't have to worry about your security as much, you know, especially when you have a bunch of different users. The only time I wouldn't use it is if you need to integrate with SSO, so single sign-on situations with that are on an enterprise level. Okay. So when it comes to taking Subbase and a Next.js application, I'm guessing there is, you know, because in the, in the Laravel world, it was really nice to say like Laravel provides you with the like wrapper for this tool. Like if you want to mm -hmm. integrate this, like you kind of start at Laravel and they're like, yeah, we have a tool to integrate that. We have a tool to integrate that service, whatever. So as far as connecting Superbase to Next.js, do we feel like we're going to have to do a lot of work or is it kind of ready to go? It has a library, a JavaScript library of its own, and it's very easy to use. So you don't need a Next.js specific tool for it. That okay. being said, when it, whenever it comes to databases, you always have the option of working with it natively using its own SDKs or using uh, an ORM, sort of, sort of an abstracted language that you use to communicate between your application and your database. If you saw yourself wanting to maybe situate if you wanted to give yourself more flexibility, you could use an ORM, like say Prisma, in order to create that abstraction in case you ever want to switch out Superbase for something else. But if you know that you're pretty set on Superbase or you're, you're you know, self-hosting it yourself, then you can just use your SDK, which is, it's so stupidly easy that as long as you know some JavaScript, you can get going and their documentation is fantastic. So you can get going like really, really fast. And that's the way we're going to go. We're just going to integrate straight with Superbase because why add complications where you don't need to? It's already complicated with all the decisions we have to make. And 
I'm a fan of learning like by digging into other people's code. So I'm guessing there's probably a really good uh, like sample repo that they have where you can see multiple. Okay, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of different boilerplates and also code with Jason. He has a lot of applications and tutorials that he's done with Superbase as well. It has a really good, well-supported community. So there's just a lot of examples out there and a lot of help that you can get as well, which I really also appreciate. So those are the major decisions we have to make. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of a lot. Well, are we going to get into our third one? Um, even briefly, the kind of communication piece, because this is one where in like WordPress, for example, so the third piece is, okay, we have all this stuff, but we need to like communicate with users. We need to send emails. We need to send SMS, whatever you want to do. However you want to yep. notifications, um, there's different options there, but let's just assume it's email. Like mm -hmm. this was a thing that was built into WordPress. And for some reason in my mind in the last like five to 10 years has gotten really unreliable because I think WordPress went from like, and eh, we'll just let the server like send off some emails and it'll mostly work and it's fine to like most managed hosts are just not really wanting that to happen anymore. And if you're spinning up yeah. your own WordPress on AWS, there is no email server at all. So you really have to integrate it. It's one of those pieces that felt like it used to be easier, but now is a thing that I think everybody who's doing any sort of complicated site, whether it's WordPress, Laravel, Next, whatever, you have to start thinking about, okay, I need a third-party tool to handle email because you know email servers with spam and with everything are just way more strict than it used to be in the past. Does that, do you agree with that or? I agree with that 1000%. I think email has become more vital in our ecosystem and has become more complicated while also randomly using like 90s HTML in it. It's, <laughs> it's a really weird combination. Emails are so weird. And letting someone who exclusively deals with email as a service is, I think, a really good call especially with how complicated it's gotten. So I feel like that's something now we all kind of deal with, like you said, right? So to me, this is a fairly easy decision. You probably, if you're a developer of some kind, you probably have an email service that you kind of lean towards. Mm -hmm. For example, for me, that's Mailgun. So I just, I don't even worry about others. I go straight to Mailgun. I know how to use it. The API is fantastic. I'll integrate it. We'll all be good to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think what's also hard about it too is that it's one of those things that like requires DNS. So like yeah. you can do so much of your work building, especially if you're like developing for a project or something, you can kind of do all of that. But the minute you bring an email, it's like, well, now I need like DNS records because like that's, that's going to change everything. So now I need a real domain. Now I need all, you know, it's like, it just like levels yeah. up the thing. And then like, I find that it becomes one of those things you kind of ignore until you, till you get to the end of the project and you want to have to deal with all that sort of stuff. You're like, oh, okay, fine. All right. Set up some DNS records, get the email delivering, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I'm just using on my local environment, I'm just using MailHog or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's when so a we'll, staging environment becomes so much more useful. And I really appreciate how a lot more servers and hosting services offer staging environments because they're just, they're becoming a lot more critical, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, we're kind of at a point now, like if you're making things, you're making complicated things because the simple yeah. things to make on the internet, like Are done. don't, you know, anybody can make that, you know? So it's, yes. it's, it's getting a little more complicated, but I'm excited to see how all of these pieces are going to like work together, how we're going to mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm excited to see where our package.json file goes, like how much <laughs> longer it's going to get once we start in, including SDKs and stuff. Uh, yes. It's going to be interesting. So I think in our next episode, we'll look at two things. We'll look at integrating Supabase as our database of choice and its authentication to create a nice login screen okay. and then build out the scaffold of a theme contract in vanilla extract for how we're going to do our styling uh, in general, but then we won't go dig into too much of it, but we'll look at how you would set that up if you don't want to use a framework like Tailwind. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to uh, getting my mind blown with just JavaScript, TypeScript <laughs> coming at me hot. Yes. <laughs> looking forward to I think it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. All right. See you then. I'll talk to you then. Visit viewsource.fm for the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show, we would love a review on iTunes or a comment on YouTube.